0: to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm having a hard time with an issue that has caused me to struggle from the time I was a small child. Let's talk about it. It's the difference between what we say we believe and the way we actually walk. There's a dissidence there. I'm not quite sure what to do about it. It's most obvious when we pray for healing for someone, we believe in the healing power of Jesus. We believe that Jesus keeps his word, and then the healing doesn't take place. And so we've become accustomed In that example, and in many others, we've become accustomed to having one belief about Jesus, about the gospel, but experientially, we're in another place. My dad was, without a doubt, the holiest man I've ever known. His example of humility, his example of integrity, His example of kindness and and mercy just inspired me. But Dad also had a belief that he had been rejected by the Lord for any work of ministry. He was a lay pastor. He pastored a congregation where there was no pastor, but the congregation never really prospered. And Dad always said it was because he had grieved the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit had rejected him. Now Mother always tried to say to Dad, No, Matt, don't say that. The Holy Spirit has not rejected you. But that was the struggle. And I have found myself in a very similar place. And as I have looked at it, one very clear conclusion has come to my mind. Yes, Dad may have grieved the Holy Spirit, and I too, by my own sin, have grieved the Holy Spirit. But he did not leave my dad, and he has not left me. But there was another problem, and we've spoken often of that problem. My father utterly rejected the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He believed that when he was baptized, he received everything he was to receive. He was baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he believed that he had the Holy Spirit presence to convict of sin, to even give direction. But he did not believe in the baptism and Pentecost baptism of the Holy Spirit. I do believe in that. I frankly don't know of an American today who has that baptism of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost power. We all who serve Jesus have a level of anointing but it's not sufficient. America is going to hell in a handbag. The church has been unable to influence the culture very much. The culture has instead influenced the church today. So the church is much more like the world than the world is like the church. This dissidence between what we say we believe And what we actually do, how do we begin to even talk about that? I watched it as a child in the church. I watched as the political games were played. I watched as a word was preached from the pulpit, but then the pastor acted in a totally different way than his words spoke? How do we bring together what we say we believe and do believe and the actual actions of our life? In Matthew, the third chapter, now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea, saying, You must repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And of course, to repent means to turn totally in another direction. But I've come to understand it means more than turning and going another direction. To repent means to turn to God. And that will require another direction. But we in America have such a rich, worldly culture. There are so many things to do and to think about, places to go, things to enjoy. Part of what I've had to do to begin to try to get at this in my own life, is I've had to turn off social media. It was absorbing too much of my time and attention. I've had to reduce dramatically my time on social media, on the cell phone, on the Internet. I don't have Facebook. I turned that off. I don't have Twitter. I don't have Instagram. I've turned all of those things off because they take my time, my attention. They fill me with distractions. I've also had to reduce where I go. I don't go to the mall and just wander around and look at things anymore never did very much, but sometimes I would. I've reduced my time in all manner of ways so that I would have more time to just be in the scriptures, to be in prayer. When I get in my car, I don't turn the radio on. I used to. I don't anymore. And then... Slowly, I began, the news was so vital, I thought, I began listening to news again. Well, I've pretty much shut all the news out of my life now. I know it's just more bad news that I don't need to pull me down. I don't want the distractions. You hear what I'm saying? I have simplified my food so that I spend a very minimal amount of time in food preparation. I have reduced my food intake dramatically. In other words, I'm not becoming a hermit, but I am cutting out of my life, and I have cut out of my life every distraction, and I'm doing only those things that Jesus has called me to do that are necessary for the work of the gospel. Now, you may say, well, Pastor, I have to go to work and earn a living. Not if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, yes, you will go to work. The scriptures are very clear. Let every man work. If you don't work, you don't eat. And that's true. If you don't have any money, you can't go to the grocery store. You can't get food. But he also said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these other things will be added unto you. The Gentiles worry about food and clothing and housing and transportation, those aren't your worries. Your concern is the kingdom of heaven, to seek it with all of your heart. And so when you go to work, you're there to do an excellent job, but you're also there primarily for the kingdom of God as a witness and a testimony that Jesus is real, and it's a testimony both in the way you live your life and what you share while you're at work. One man said to me, I don't share the gospel when I go to work. They can see that I'm different, and so they'll ask me about what what's making you operate like that. You seem different than all the rest of us. I said, how long have you been in that job? Well, he'd been there many, many years. I said, how many people have ever asked you that question? And he had to honestly answer, no one has ever asked me that question. I said, well, then are you more like the world than you are like Jesus? Let's be honest. They couldn't tell a difference between you and the other worldly people at work. Something is wrong. And again, that comes to this. Dissidence between what we say we believe and the way we actually live. Focus on the family. Many years ago did a very careful research project and discovered that those who are evangelical Christians spend their money the way the non-Christians do. They go to the same places for vacation. They have the same goals for retirement. They couldn't find any measurable difference in the behavior of evangelical Christians and those who called themselves atheists or agnostics or pagans. Well, come on, honest with me. You recognize what I'm talking about. I think it's time for us to get really, really honest with each other and with God, but especially with ourselves. First thing, John the baptizer says when he comes, you must repent. Well, is that the answer to the dissidence between what I say I believe and the life I live? Yes, it probably is. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, the people in Jerusalem were astonished when word came that an Old Testament prophet was out in the Judean desert by the the Jordan River. A prophet had not come to Israel for 400 years. Malachi was the last prophet. And this was typical Elijah gear. Camel hair, a leather coat, Eating locusts and wild honey. And so they came to see what this man was about. And he called them to repent. And then, as they confessed their sins, what sins? The sins that marked them as being different than what they claimed to believe as Jews for not fulfilling their obligations to God. These were religious people. These were church people, please. But they recognized there was a difference between the way they were living their life and the call of God on their life for how they should be living. He saw some Pharisees and Sadducees this is in Matthew 3 verse 7 they were coming to be bat, to the bapt to his baptism and he said to them you brood of snakes well what's he talking about he's saying you're you're the children of snakes you're baby snakes Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So here's another key secret. There were things in these people's lives that they knew were not in accord with the commands of Moses. And as they carefully looked at their life and they saw the dissidence between what they said they were as Jews And what they did in practice, according to the law of Moses, they saw there was a distance between them and they had to come and confess that. But obviously, John the Baptist had no confidence that the Pharisees or the Sadducees could even begin to see the dissidence between what they said they believed and the way they acted. So he called them snakes. Oh, offspring of snakes who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. In fact, you must produce fruit worthy of repentance. Well, if the issue we're dealing with is a dissidence between what we say we believe and the way we act, we're not called to repent for what we believe some are. Some believe false things. They believe lies. They believe all manner of wicked things. But I'm speaking now about Christians who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, who believe that salvation is a free gift by the blood of Jesus, who believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. They believe that You believe, many of you believe, that Jesus is coming again in glory and that everyone will face the judgment bar of God and be responsible for what they have done. And so if you're going to produce fruit worthy of repentance, it means identifying that dissidence between what you say you believe and what you do. problem is many have walked so long in their wickedness in their worldliness in the way they dress some of you when you dress you look like a pagan the clothes you wear are sexually explicit there's pride in how you wear your clothing for women, how their hair is done and how their makeup is done, not just to be beautiful, but to be exceedingly beautiful and sexy. It seems that's just the norm today. And places we go, one man said to me, Pastor, I go to the I go to the nightclubs. I don't think there's anything wrong with going. They have great food. I enjoy the music. I enjoy the company. We talk and laugh and have a good time. When scripture, that's called carousing. And the word says that if you carouse, you won't go to heaven. But carousing seems to be a normal part of the American church today. Often, meals at the church are just carousing meals, telling jokes, laughing. No one is praying together. no one is talking about their sin and asking for prayer for encouragement and victory. We just don't we don't even begin to talk like Christians at these places, in fact, I don't mean to step on toes. But when people come into the church with laughter and jokes, loud noise, no respect for the house of God, that's carousing. And then the pastor stands up and he tells some redskin jokes and he gets everyone to laughing and he plays to the audience all through his sermon. He knows how to hold that congregation in his hand and get them to laugh and get them to cry. Often, many sermons are just carousing sermons. And the pastor is the leader of the carousing in the church. Please understand, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm trying to address this very key issue of the dissidence between what we say as American Christians and the way we live. It was the Washington Post who ran some time ago an article asking, do Christians pray? Do Christians read their Bibles? And they did a research piece. And they found that most Christians said they prayed every day and read the scriptures every day. But when they Mind that a little more deeply, they discovered that they thought they read, but they never read. They never cracked their Bible. But because they thought about it, they said, that's reading the Bible. No, that's not reading the Bible. So, this struggle between what I say I believe and what I do drains me of any power in the spirit and drains the church of any power in the culture. So now, if I'm going to produce fruit worthy of repentance, it's going to have to be an action that is totally opposed to the actions I have been taking in the past. Remember, we said repentance is turning another way. It's, it's a total turnaround. It's turning to God. Okay, then repentance would mean I would have to repent of those actions that are not in accord with the will of God. But most of our actions, we just do naturally. We don't even consider that they might not be the will of God. It's just our ways. It's how we operate. It's where we have our hidey cave. It's where we, it's where we veg. It's what we read. I, for many years, was an avid reader of science fiction. In the Holy Spirit, I was reading one of my favorite authors, Modest. And the Holy Spirit said, put it down. And I kept reading. I thought, that's not the Holy Spirit. And then more loudly, and my spirit came, put it down. Will you put it down? Yes. And I put it down. Well, I was walking through a bookstore. I had a book that I needed to find if if Barnes & Noble carried it. And while there, I needed to go to the bathroom. And so I walked back through the stack of books to go to the bathroom. And I walked by the science fiction section. And there on the bookshelf for everyone to see was a new modest novel. And immediately my heart said, wow, I'd like to read that. And then I remembered the Holy Spirit said, put it down. And in my mind I said, was it just that book he wanted me to put down? Or was it novels he wanted me to put down? The word novel means lie. Do I want the truth or do I want lies? And immediately I repented of even thinking that I might enjoy reading that novel. I turned away from it. That was new behavior. When the Holy Spirit said, "Put it down," and I stopped reading *Modest*. I will date myself. But I used to be an avid Zane Gray reader of Western novels. They're classics. The Holy Spirit told me, stop it. So I laid down the Zane Gray novels. I love historical novels. The Lord won't let me read historical novels. He said, read the history, read the truth. Don't read novels. Well, do you understand what a huge step that was for me? My place of escape as a child as given to me by my mother. I mean, she read Hans Brinker and the Silver Skates to us. She read Swiss Family Robinson to us. She, she read Robinson Crusoe. Those are old classics. I was raised reading old classic novels. Some of you are caught in romantic novels. You lust after them. If you repent of reading those novels, which you need to do, if that's one of your issues, you you might like Hallmark movies and say, well, there's nothing wrong with a Hallmark movie. Yes, there is. It's not reality. It's a novel, except it's in movie form, but it's a lie. If you begin to repent, it means you turn aside and you turn it off. Some of you like horror movies. Some of you like the violence of the video games. You like the war games. You like the boxing matches. You like... If you repent of that, you stop doing it. Now, please, when you stop doing something, it leaves an empty hole. And if you don't fill that hole with something, you'll probably go back to the old. Well, what should I fill the hole with? The library called the Bible. It's the truth. You see, I'm not here. I'm not here to enjoy life. I do enjoy life. I have a zest for life. But it's not because of Western American life. I have a zest for life because I'm walking into eternity. I'm I'm watching the greatest rescue operation in the history of the world or any world in the universe where God actually becomes a, a man and is murdered is put on the cross and is brought back to life. I mean, you want drama. You want action. Oh, there's lots of action in the scriptures. You replace what Satan has been feeding you to keep you From the Word of God. Now, if I'm going to have no dissidence between what I say I believe and what I do, then all that is worldly must be put away. All that is of darkness must be put away. Oh, even some things that are very healthy must be kept in check bike riding kayaking fishing sailing I love blue water sailing I'd live to I'd love to live on a on a sailboat and sail the oceans I can't I may be able to do that when I get to heaven because I am hoping we'll have sailboats there. I can't do. I can't do that. Why? Because to give myself to that would be a dissidence, a direct turning away from what God has called me to do. I want to do what God has called me to do. I want to be what God has called me to be. I have a heaven to win and a hell to lose. I don't want to win hell. I want to win heaven. So, you know, please, I don't understand very well what I'm, in terms of being able to talk to you about this today. I just know I've spent my whole life From the time I was a small child, struggling with this dissidence between belief and action, and I'm tired of struggling with it. And the way out of it, according to John the Baptist, is that you repent and then you produce fruit in keeping with the repentance. Do you understand? Then he goes on to say, Even now, verse 10, the axe is lying at the root of the tree. So every tree not producing good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Well, what is the fruit that is good? The fruit that is good is the fruit unto repentance where you have cut off those things of wickedness in your life. What are the things of wickedness? The things of wickedness are the things that disagree with what you say you believe. Do you say, Jesus is Lord? Do you have other lords in your life? You say, I give myself totally to Jesus. Do you then give yourself to the television, to unholy sports? Do you then give yourself to carousing, to partying? Is there a dissidence between what you say you believe and what you actually do? And I believe it is that dissidence that is grieving the Holy Spirit from our lives, from my life, that prevents him from pouring out his Holy Spirit and Pentecost power. Do you understand? For Peter, all of the dissidence was gone. Peter said he believed in Jesus, that he was willing to die, and yet he denied Jesus three times. That's dissidence. That's a wide gap between what he said and what he did. And please, I want my life to be in unity between what I say and what I do. When I say something to you, I want you to know that that is precisely what I'm going to do. I don't want to be double-minded. A double-minded man will receive nothing from the Lord. So I cast off all double-mindedness in the name of Jesus. Now it's going to take the Holy Spirit to come and show you the dissidence between what you say you believe and what you do. Now you can immediately... Come up, I'm sure, with some things that you're doing that you know you should not be doing. Is that true? Almost everyone that I speak with, I say to them, how are you with Jesus? And they get this look on their face, and the downcast look, they shake their head and they say, Pastor, I'm struggling, I'm trying as hard as I can, but there's distance between me and Jesus. Well, brother, sister, you can't change that distance until there is a recognition of what you believe and then you be, you decide to live according to the truth you've received from Jesus. And you're struggling because you don't want to give up what you say you believe. And you don't want to give up what you're doing. Does that make sense? You don't want to give up your belief in Jesus Christ, and you don't want to give up doing what you're doing, not recognizing that you will eventually be forced to give up Jesus Christ because He is going to judge you based on what you do, not on what you say you believe. I believe Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Okay, now I'm going to be judged on how I act. Do my actions reflect the reality of what I've said I believed? And I haven't met anyone yet who walks in that in America. Now, I'm sure there are some. My dad came as close as anybody I've ever met. But he still rejected the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that kept him in bondage and despair. I'm not going to be kept in bondage and despair. And I'm not going to be kept in unconsciousness. I'm not going to be held in bondage by any behavior, any foods I eat. You know, I did something very foolish. I, once a week, would go to a country farm market and I would buy a piece of crumb cherry pie, just one piece. And they would always say, do you need a fork? And napkins, and I'd say, no, no, thank you. And I'd come home, and I would sit in my favorite chair, and I would have my piece of pie. I didn't put ice cream on it. That was too many calories. So the Holy Spirit said, do you see you're creating a new way? Is this a way that I've asked you to go in? Or is this a way to satisfy a sweet tooth? I had to answer, it's a, it's a way to, to comfort myself. Well, I don't want to use food to comfort myself. I don't want to live to eat. I want to eat to live. And so I want to eat healthy, good food that will nourish my body and give me the strength to to do and to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, is it sin for me to eat a piece of cherry pie? No, but if I have it every Monday night, I think it is. For me, it's establishing a new way that will not bring health and strength to my body. I've basically cut sugar from my diet. I needed to do that. It's poison for me. Makes my nose run. Well, what do you do? Do you have unconscious ways that the Holy Spirit will have to come and speak to you about? And then when you recognize what it is, you're faced with the choice Do I want to create this? Increase the dissidence between what I say I believe about Jesus and the way I live? No, I don't want to do that. So we have deliberate things that we do that we know are wrong, deliberate ways of speaking. Impatience. I have people who say to me, Pastor, I'm working on my patience. No, you're not working on your patience. You're excusing your lack of patience. If you want to work on your patience, cut it off. Cut it off. And spend the time humbling your heart before Jesus, asking him to totally cut it off and remove that impatience from your life. Pastor, I'm I'm struggling. I have a self-esteem issue. No, you don't have a self-esteem issue. You have a pride issue. We're called to let go of our self-esteem, to esteem others ahead of ourselves. I don't know what the issue is that Jesus will begin to hot button for you. But I know it's a process of... Bringing my actual life into line with what I say I actually believe. That's a vital process. Now, sin is rebellion. Sin is when we, (coughs) pardon me, sin is when we know. but we keep walking in it. And these people, they came to John the Baptist and they confessed the distance between what they said they believed about Moses and what their actual practice was. And John the Baptist said, produce fruit worthy of repentance. And John the Baptist then said, you may think it among yourselves to say we have a father, Abraham. I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham out of these stones. Even now the axe is laying at the root of the trees. So every tree not producing good fruit, that is every person who is not producing good fruit out of repentance, is cut down and thrown into the fire. This has to be done. I'm not willing to live the rest of my life with any dissidence between what I say I believe about Jesus and the way I actually live. And right now, there's a very large gap between what I say and what I actually do. And that's primarily in the area of power for ministry. I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of of God to come and move in healing and restoration. I believe in the power to convict the sinner of his wickedness and turn to the Lord. But I have a very small anointing in that. So now I'm crying out to God over this issue and saying, Lord, I can't live like this. I can't continue trying to minister like this. I'm exhausted As one precious person said, I have battle fatigue. Well, I have serious battle fatigue. I have struggled and struggled. I'm done. I'm now crying out to Jesus, change the situation. I can't. I have to be able to go to the book of Acts and read what they did what their ways were and recognize that those ways are in perfect accord with what they said they believed about Jesus Christ. I must have that same experience in my life. Do you? Do you want that same experience? I need God to open the windows of heaven and pour out a great blessing for me. Do you? In verse 11, indeed, I baptize you with water unto repentance. But the one coming after me is mightier than me, whose sandals I'm not worthy to remove. Speaking about Jesus... He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will thoroughly cleanse his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with fire never to be put out. He's obviously referring to hell and is referring to people. He's winnowing us. Right now, Jesus is winnowing America. I believe he sent the Holy Spirit in power. I believe the miracles that the apostles did and the other ones who were Christians like Stephen and many others did I believe in the power that brings people into relationship with Jesus Christ. One man I have a great deal of respect for, I won't name him because of what I need to say, but I listen to his preaching every chance I get. Then he gets to the end of his preaching and he does this silly little Lord's or silly little sinner's prayer. There's no tears, there's no weeping in the congregation, there's no crying out to God. Just this little, little, simple ditty. Oh, forgive me for all of my sins. Yes, now you're saved. You've declared Jesus is your Lord, you've repented of your sins, and now you're saved. No, you're not. You haven't even begun to be saved. You've just been vaccinated against Jesus. very troubled by this distance between what we say we believe and how we act. And it has to change. This has to change. Lord, I come today and there is yet a distance between what I say I believe and what my actions are because I do not yet walk in the power of Pentecost. I believe it, but I don't walk it. And Lord, I come again today asking for myself and for my brothers and sisters that you would point out to us anything that is grieving your spirit, that you would call us out of any way habit, or behavior that would block you from pouring out your Holy Spirit in revival power. Lord, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, for it is a righteousness by faith. So, Lord, I come asking today, would you help us would you uncover this for us? Would you make it plain to our hearts what we're to repent of, how we're to repent, and what the the fruit of repentance should look like in our hearts and in our lives? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have ideas about this and you'd like to send them to me, please do, if you have scriptures. I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me by going to uh, our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Dirk, I thank you. Your offering came in this morning. And Robert, thank you. Each one of you who is helping to cover the radio bill for this month we're still a long long way from where we need to be it looks like an impossible mountain but i come by faith in jesus so you can give online or you can you can contact me with email or telephone you can also write to me the address is the national prayer chapel Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. And Terry, I just got your offering today. I was becoming concerned about you. I'm glad to hear from you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195. I love you all. I want to see you walk with me in the glory of Jesus Christ. I'll talk to you soon.